Heads up, in this episode, Sebastian and John gush about pouches, Johnny Five, and tiny feet as we go to the extreme in Here's Why It's Great. Welcome to Here's Why It's Great. I'm Sebastian Kalachik. And I'm John Bring. And this is the podcast where we take what you hate and tell you why it's great. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the infamous Robert Liefeld. Yes. I actually looked on Wikipedia because we've talked many times about how you actually say his name. Is it Liefeld? Is it Liefeld or whatever? And they have it in IPA, the International Phonetic Alphabet. And it looks like it's Liefeld. Liefeld? Yeah. That doesn't... I don't like that. I don't either. I definitely... I... Growing up in the South, you you learn that people pretty much mispronounce things constantly there. Okay. And I've always had a hard time pronouncing names anyway. Uh, don't get me started on what I thought your name sounded like when I first met you. Don't even get me started. You didn't know what Sebastian I didn't know what Sebastian was. I was like, is it... Uh, that was it. But no, I used to pronounce his name Leefield. And it wasn't until I met you and you called uh, him Liefeld, I was like, wait a minute. Have I been getting this wrong my entire life? You were. And looked at it and I said, <laughs> oh, snap. I've been doing this all wrong for many, many years, basically since I was 11 or 12. That's a long time to be wrong. Sure is a long time to be wrong. Uh, <laughs> I understand that, though. I mean, how would you know? I mean, you know, yeah. you're from uh, the South. At the time, I, did, yeah, <laughs> I, know, I thought we didn't have no TVs or radios in my part of the woods, my neck of the woods, even. You're in my thighs of the woods. <laughs> I, don't the know, a, I don't know. It's a body part. Sure. So, Rob Liefeld. Yes, speaking of thighs, <laughs> the, the dude knows how to draw some quads. He sure does. There's no argument that he is the most controversial figure yeah. in comic books ever. Yes, absolutely the most controver- controversial artist. There are not just articles that are like the 40 worst drawings of Robert Liefeld. There's articles that are another 40, and here's 100 million, and here's why, and blah, blah, blah. I mean, when I went on YouTube just to like do research for this episode... Every I just put Rob Liefeld in, and sure, there's a handful of uh, interviews by him, but the majority is just people taking huge dumps all over him. Yeah. Like, again, a dramatic reading of the 40 worst drawings from Rob Liefeld, or uh, why Rob Liefeld is the worst artist of all time, or uh, video after video just tearing this guy down. Yeah, and I mean... You and I grew up in a time, and particularly as kids that liked comic books and liked to draw comic books, in a time when image was exploding and where the artists did rule the world. And Liefeld's stuff was, at that time, blew my mind. Like, it was so of its time. Everything was energetic. Everything was just over the top. But that was the early 90s. Yeah. That was us coming out of the 80s action movies and into the early 90s where things were bonkers. And he tapped into that. I mean, it's. I think it's easy now. And I do think it's become kind of in vogue to, to A, take a dump on absolutely everything, but to take a dump specifically on Robert Liefeld. And I don't know why I keep calling him Robert. I've yeah, I was going to ask that. He, I'm trying to show him wrong. the. I'm trying to show him respect. Yeah, but you keep calling him Robert. Nobody. I don't think he's even ever called himself Robert. He's probably, that's probably not even his name. Yeah, he was just, just named Rob. Rob. Yeah, like my name is just John, like not Jonathan, and my brother's name is just Alex, not Alexander. He's just Rob. He's just Rob. He's just Rob, baby. He's just hey, man. I'm just Rob. I'm just Rob, I'm man. I'm extreme. I'm awesome. <laughs> I have wispy hair. It's about image. But I do think that it's become in vogue to take all these shots at him. But I think looking back at stuff, now that we have all of this 
context and perspective and just time that's passed, it's easy to lose sight of what that time period actually was. It's the same way with people joking about mullets. I mean, yeah, mullets are hilarious and they're horrible and they look stupid now, but those things were like, I never had a mullet, but I remember mullets were like cool at the time. Yeah, they were legit. That was a symbol of coolness, the same way those little tails in the back of the yeah, rat head. tails rat tails. oh there are a lot of rat tails uh in my middle school and high school for a long time in my and, junior and, high yeah for sure and yeah mullets were yeah party out back business up front exactly and i mean it's the same thing with like do you remember uh, anything like that where it's like the bangs that people had at the time or the sideburns or any, anything like that that's of its time is not going to age particularly well no but he tapped into the zeitgeist of the time and i think he was so 90s and anybody that can define an era or be so associated you know they rose to the top and that guy rose to the top oh he sure quick. did that's one thing that i sort of lose sight of with rob liefeld is that he was kind of the trailblazer of that image style uh, rob liefeld combined with todd mcfarlane and jim lee were the reasons that i picked up a pencil and decided to try to become a comic book artist and i think the the person I idolized the most was probably Todd McFarlane. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe because I'm just a Spider-Man kid. Sure. I loved Spider-Man. I loved his run on Spider-Man. I loved how dark it was. But I think the person I ultimately emulated, I just didn't have the skill to emulate somebody like Todd McFarlane or certainly not Jim Lee, who was, I think, in my opinion, the best of all of the image guys was Jim Lee. And uh, I think that stands to this day. But Rob Liefeld, I feel like, was blazing this trail before everybody else got there. I think he took it. By, like, 1990, he was already selling 4 million copies of X-Force, and he had... He developed a style all his own that I think sort of led the charge for all the rest of those guys, that sort of hyper everything. I was going to... Not hyper real, but just hyper exaggerated style that all those guys sort of aped in their own way. Some to better success than others. I Yeah, and I think that at that time, all of those artists, it was about energy. And that's honestly, that's what drew me to Marvel Comics over DC for a time at that age was how colorful and how exciting everything was at Marvel. Oh, there, yeah. was a, there was energy all over those pages. Those pages popped, whether it was Eric Larson, who I loved, whether it was Todd McFarlane, who I loved, any all of those guys who ended up doing Image. I was, I think Mark Silvestri is an amazing artist. I was a little bit less familiar with him at that time. Same thing with Wills Portacio. Yeah. Wills Portacio I didn't know, and Jim Valentino didn't really and, know. Everybody else Valentino. I loved. I read a lot of Mark Silvestri's Wolverine stuff. Uh, Eric Larson's The Revenge of the Sinister Six to this oh day is one of my favorite art-wise, specifically one of my favorite stories of all time. I worship Todd McFarlane. I worship Rob Liefeld. And then Jim Lee is probably my favorite comic book artist just of all time yeah. because he's been so consistent and so good. And I feel like especially in the last few years, he's gotten he's tried different things with watercolor. And, oh, my God. Um, so beautiful. He's He's such a good artist. He spray so, paints too now. Like I've yeah, seen him do that on so, his Instagram. Yeah, like, very well-rounded. Also a smart businessman. Uh, and the, one of the first guys that I think realized that, hey, I'm not a writer. I need to have other guys writing my stuff for me, and that's when I that's when I shine. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, to a lot of those guys didn't realize that. To your point about Marvel being more exciting, look no further than Rob Liefeld's first really big published work, which was Hawk and Dove in 1988 for DC Comics. I uploaded it. I had actually never read it before, but I bought it off of Comicsology to look through for this podcast. And I was really, it really struck me like a lot of the typical Rob Liefeld hallmarks are there. There's still that like dynamic feel to the layouts. Mm-hmm. Um, 
although apparently he would attempt to uh, do the layouts in his typical horizontal style, which actually went horizontally across the page instead of vertically, which is a typical comic book layout where you read it top to bottom. He would he would constantly do it side to side, and Carl Kiesel, uh, the inker at the time, would cut and paste his panels back into a normal way so you could read them normally. And the horizontal comic reading is something that Rob Liefeld would try to make happen. It was like, fetch. <laughs> it's like, it's not going to happen, Rob. Just stop trying to make it happen. But I respect that he took those chances. I respect that he did things that not everybody was doing at the time. He was trying different things. And this is the same thing with his layouts, where he would pop almost everything out of the panels. He had really dynamic artwork. I don't know if I would even say storytelling, because sometimes I think the story is muddled. But I think that his artwork was incredibly dynamic, at that time. And that's not something that was used to. You pointed to Hawk and Dove and there is a lot of energy in that, but even that is more static than any of the stuff that he would do even a year, two years later. For sure. I mean, it was his first really big, again, his first big published work. Uh, It was in 1988. He was like 17 when he was doing this, which is crazy to me. I thought he was like 19. No, oh, maybe I'm wrong. Oh, let's see. 88. He was born in 67, I think it said. So he would have, I know he wasn't uh, no, yeah, he may have been like 19 to 20, okay. somewhere in there. Um, Still incredibly, incredibly young. And, and if it was published at that time, then he probably got it a little bit, got the job a little bit before that. So. Yeah, exactly. So it was, it's amazing that he did that. And with no formal training, he basically took art that he had seen from other comics, George Perez and a lot of really uh, big guys in the 80s. Uh, you can really see the George Perez uh, effect in uh, Hawk and Dove, but he would take their work and trace it to teach himself how to draw. And so over the next few years, by the time he was 15 or 16, he was sending portfolios out to companies. He was always afraid to do it for Marvel and DC. I think he was intimidated by how big they were. Sure. But he he grew up in Anaheim, so he would go to the Disneyland Hotel where they would have conventions, and he would go up to different editors and hand them his portfolio and get suggestions. And apparently he would come back time after time. He was never discouraged. And he came back and apparently got better and better every time, which led him to getting... Uh, actual layout work. He didn't get to draw the the thing itself, but he got layout work on Megaton Comics when he was like 16 years old. That's incredible. I know, and I I I think of where I was at as an artist at 16 years old, and... Like, I mean, I know we've self-published comics before, Mm -hmm. but if I... I I don't believe I would ever get hired as, like, a Marvel or even, like, a third-rate publisher. Um, I will say it was different at that time because there were... fewer people interested and there were you know it it was just a different time but that's not to take anything away from Rob Liefeld it's simply to say like now it's so hard to get into anything because it's just packed to the brim yeah but I I'm looking at not just like talent but guts I mean I know you said you talked about him being intimidated about the big two Marvel and DC but even to go to those conventions and show some of your portfolio if you've never done that before it's incredibly nerve-wracking and it takes a lot of guts and to be so young and maybe you know you can say it's the brashness of youth or whatever but to be that young and to to keep doing it i mean it's one thing to do it once but to be rejected and to go back and do it again and to stay at it that really takes a lot of guts and a lot of heart and i think that speaks volumes and i think that's something about rob liefeld that pretty much carried on through his whole career is that never knowing when to quit which uh, you know you could call that a, a a bad thing that could be a hit against him because maybe you know after the 90s uh where he had his heyday and people sort of started to really shit all over him Maybe he would have quit, but he, again, he doesn't know when to quit. He's got this sort of boundless enthusiasm that somehow has never gone away. 
I think he's got a passion for it. You know what I mean? He does. He, I think that's something that really came through on the pages when he was doing stuff at, at Marvel and also when they went on to do Image Comics. The energy and the passion, the joy, I think comes across on his pages. And even if his work started to falter or he started to get caught up in the sort of rock star life of it or whatever, you know, and, and wasn't obviously a lot of those guys and he was apparently the worst about hitting deadlines and all that stuff. But just in terms of enjoyment of drawing, which I think is also why there's so few backgrounds and so he just drew the stuff that he liked to draw because he had fun doing it. And he was basically a kid yeah. doing it. It was like me being a teenager drawing stuff. You just draw what you like to draw because you enjoy doing it. I feel like he kind of carried that with him in his late teens to early 20s when he was doing stuff. I mean, by the time he was, what, 20, 22, he was selling 4 million copies of X-Force and he was about to go form Image and be a millionaire overnight from Image Comics. Yeah. He released Youngblood. I mean, we're sort of jumping ahead, but he released Youngblood, which was the first comic that Image published and it sold millions of copies, even d- despite the fact that the story was kind of a mess, and he'll admit to that. I mean, yeah. Rob Le- uh, Liefeld calls it a, a disaster from art uh, being sort of haphazardly finished and the dialogue being pretty poor because he didn't have a collaborator. Or his the collaborator he had, he threw under the bus for, <laughs> right. uh, for the failure of the, the creative failure of the book. Certainly not the financial failure. But, I mean, I think of myself at 22, <laughs> I definitely could not have handled... Owning my own business, owning a studio, you know, being one of seven, what was it, seven guys? I yeah. guess Wolf's Protasio was out pretty quickly right at the beginning, but one of six or seven guys publishing this company and forming this huge company. Yeah, something uh, nobody had done before in, on that scale. Certainly not. And and to also, on top of that, like, be juggling all these different stories in your head and all these ideas. And, and I think... Uh, <laughs> Again, jumping ahead, but Youngblood number one, which I downloaded a bunch of his old comics on uh, Comixology, as I mentioned. But Youngblood number one, it, it is sort of incoherent. It is very uh, yeah. there's a lot of like uh, narrative whiplash in it because you meet three completely separate teams of people and don't know anything about any of them except for Shaft. You learn a little bit about Shaft's backstory, who's the leader of Youngblood. But if he's the leader of Youngblood, why is there an, an, another team where this guy Sentinel seems to be the leader? But it just seems like ideas were just coming out of yeah, his he was, ears. He was just exploding with ideas, and he didn't have – there was no wrangling at that point because it was their own yeah, company. he was his own editor. He was his own writer. He, he had no oversight. And so that comic just turned into like 38 pages of just whatever he wanted to put out there. And although it's not, it's no Alan Moore, it's no uh, Grant Morrison level writing, it's just imaginative. You know, he gets called out for his characters being pretty derivative. Deadpool's a great example of that. Not only design-wise does Deadpool look like Spider-Man and Wade Wilson, Slade Wilson, the Deathstroke, uh, the similarities to Deathstroke are undeniable. But still, I mean, like, he's a prolific creator and he created a ton of characters that are still around today. I mean, Cable's an, uh, yeah. Cable is unique. Uh, yeah. he, he, I believe, created a lot of Cable clones uh, <laughs> later on for himself, but Cable is extremely unique, and not to mention I'm just a, a litany of other characters that, you know, some better than others. There are those like Forearm and Spiral that he created. That yeah. uh, or Well, not Spiral, but Forearm, who is a guy with four arms. I think he uh, didn't judge himself very much back then. I don't then. think he like, did. And I, think that's I don't think kinda... he had, had the time to. He was doing, he was too busy. He was just generating 
stuff. Like he was just drawing and creating. And I, that's another thing that kind of reminds me of being young and doing comic books is, you know, I think a lot of us start out with you trace or you copy. I did a lot of copying. I didn't do a lot of tracing, but of like copying what other people have drawn and seeing if you can draw that as well. And then eventually you move on to stuff where you just are drawing stuff out of your own mind or, or whatever. But in terms of creating characters also, a lot I know a lot of my early creations were super derivative oh, yeah. of characters that already existed because I was I was young. I was 8, oh, 9, sure. 10, 12, you know, all those years. And then they started to be, you latch on to something that you like and then you start making your version of it. And I feel like he just, that's just always what he did. And he didn't even... I think that that is looked down upon, and I think he didn't, at least in the beginning, maybe didn't realize that that was maybe something you shouldn't do. I'm, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt on that, but that as time went on and people were pointing it out, he probably could have taken a step back and been like, oh yeah, sorry, this is basically right. X-Men or you yeah. know whatever it is. But There was like one version of a character that was like a red and white colored Wolverine, but he had the exact same Wolverine mask. Yeah. I'm sure his name was Blood Death or... Kill die or Bulverine. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely or what it was like Bloodverine, Blood <laughs> Bloodshot Verine, Bloodshot Verine. Uh, yeah, Deathstrokerine. <laughs> yep, definitely Deathstrokerine. <laughs> uh, so, but I think we've been a little all over the place to start. Yeah, which so, is good because that's Liefeld. That's <laughs> that's Liefeld, baby. But I, I kind of want to take it back to obviously the biggest time of his career, which would have been. The ending of the New Mutants and the beginning of X Force, all the way to Image creating, uh, which is where things were at their height and would very quickly be at be at their their pit. Yeah. So we have to look at this. So he went from Hawk and Dove, and to you know again a very sort of subdued version of his style. Yeah. And that was '88. By 1990, that's when X Force number one launched and sold four million copies. And by then, he had completely gone off into his own style. And you and I were discussing earlier today what that was. And was it, do you think it's because, you know, his extreme style came out because he was, because the reins were taken off of him? Because maybe, uh, you know, DC Editorial was still kind of clinging to that mid 80s John Byrne sort of house style. And I do feel like DC has always had a very strong house style. Right yes. now, it's very much like in. Ivan Rice or uh, Gary Frank sort of style, like a sort of realistic thing. Yeah. Um, but I, at the time, I, they sort of like made him cling to that. And then once the reins were taking on off at Marvel, where they didn't have like a necessarily a house style, do you think that was it? Or do you think it was because he got to ink his own work? Or I think he was actually going to look at this issue of X-Force and see if he inked it as well. Yeah, while you're, while you're checking that, I I think it's both of those things. I, I mean, I think that when he was at DC doing Hawk and Dove they did have a strong house style. I'm sure there was a lot of oversight. They wanted him to do it a certain way rather than because the, the artist was just about to become the focus of everything in a big way. And you're right. DC had such a strong house style. I'm sure that they really had the reins on. They also had, um, I'm sorry, I just blinked on his name, but someone else inking it. And uh, Carl Kiesel. Was, yeah, uh, Hawk and Dove. Yeah. Hawk and Dove. Yeah. Carl yeah thank Kiesel. you. And Barbara Kiesel was the writer. Oh, okay. Yeah. They, so he wasn't inking his own work, which, you know, those finishes and stuff may not have been his. And then moving over to Marvel, where it could be more of a, hey, do what you do, artists. Then, yeah, I think the once the reigns and the more popular that he got, 
I'm sure the more he felt comfortable, the free reign yeah. he gave himself, and probably Marvel gave him because absolutely, the, if you're producing, the, the gravy train like, was was a rolling at that point. The gravy train with biscuit wheels yeah. was rolling at that point. So I mean, even with McFarlane, they did this, the you know, oh here's Spider Man. I'm not yeah. a writer. I mean, yeah, go just do it. You're popular. You're selling books. Do yeah, it. exactly. And that was definitely a different age. I mean, we are definitely well into the age of the comic book writer being more important than the artist. Yeah. And I think that's because DC and Marvel each have their very streamlined house styles now. Yeah. I think that unless, except for an occasional guest artist like a Frank Quietly or a Mike Allred coming around, you've definitely got a look for each of those books. So it's the writer that sort of shines in those cases. But back then it was completely different. And I'm looking at this X-Force issue, issue 98, the first appearance of Deadpool. And uh, yeah, Rob Liefeld is... Or sorry, yeah, New Mutants. Uh, so Rob Liefeld is definitely the just art, plot and art, plot and art. Okay. Which we have to look at that too. From the time he started New Mutants, within a year of working on that book, they handed the keys over to this kid. Yeah, this like twenty year old kid. Young, yeah, and not just young, inexperienced. So. Yeah, yeah, he certainly was not a writer by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. You know, his art was was very bombastic, but and he's a talker. He's definitely. I feel like he's a hustler. Like, I feel like that's what got him as far as he got in in this life, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, and now it gets him into trouble constantly. But <laughs> yeah, but back then, and especially when there wasn't everything posted on the internet that you say, I feel like that really was him making a way for himself of you you know talking a good game. I mean, I think that's what got him through the door at Mar- uh, DC in the first place. That's what got him his uh, at the Megaton comics. I think that, and yeah, and Marvel. I mean, that made him go very far. But, I mean, I'm looking at this book now, and, like, the difference between this and Hawk and Dove is so crazy. Uh, they don't they don't have the original... Oh, hold on. I'm trying to see. It just says February. I was trying to see what year this was. It says 2011 on the on the digital version, but I'm going to say this is probably, like, 1990 um, when Deadpool appeared. But, yeah, it's it's night and day, the difference between this. This is the Rob Liefeld that I grew up with, that yeah. I knew. Yeah. Um, and, honestly, that I loved. I would not have recognized his style in Hawk and Dove. I didn't recognize it. I know, I know. When I saw it, I was shocked. I mean, besides occasionally, like, a hairstyle or, like, a layout thing would be very reminiscent of his work that's sort of carried through. Or, like, the way he draws people running has always been exactly the same with, like, one foot sort of kicked towards the camera. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, But, yeah, this this is definitely what I remember. And, I mean, I can't help but look at this and still be excited by this art. I don't know... If it's just nostalgia at this point, I th- I don't think that it is for me. I, there's definitely some nostalgia there because I remember how freaking in love I was with all of those artists from Image at the time. But also when Liefeld came on the scene in a big way with particularly with X Force, my friends and I who were making comic books, and I look back, I, I saved so many of those comic books that we made in fourth grade or fifth grade and sixth grade, etc. And you can see our styles change, particularly my one friend, Josh. You can see his artwork become Liefeld artwork. Oh, yeah. Suddenly everybody has a million lines on their faces. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's just that that sort of energy. The hair all looks like Liefeld Oh, I hair. definitely stole wholesale from Rob Liefeld. There's an issue we'll talk about in a minute that, uh, in particular, when I, when I got it on Comixology and I was looking at it last night, I was like, holy shit, this is it. This is, like, where the beginning of my own style came from and i feel like now my style is probably a combination of somewhere between jim lee and joe Matarera. Mm. i don't know if you know, remember joe Matarera yeah, absolutely from the 90s very sort of like anime. joe mad joe mad uh which a lot of people i was finding it interesting that a lot of people were drawing a direct line from rob liefeld to joe mad interesting uh, i can online. see that actually yeah it's sort of that same uh, he had a lot more fundamentals i think joe 
Joe did. Yeah. But I think, uh, yeah, just that, again, bombastic, big, exciting. Yeah. Everything was, like, huge and extreme. Energy over... Uh, accuracy yeah exactly uh everything was yeah just a little bit like turned to 11 uh so yeah just looking at this book now and seeing yeah so many things that i remember specifically tracing from this yeah the costume designs are all i stole these (laughs) for my own stuff the hairstyles i definitely stole costume designs everybody can make fun of it now but i think those pouches and those big shoulder pads and the huge guns and stuff again that was sort of of its time but also that was new yeah and he was doing that and that really made him stand out and yeah. now it's sort of ridiculous and silly and and i will admit that it is because he like, overdo it sure yes absolutely but hey this is a guy okay look this is a guy who his first studio was called Extreme, and then his second one was called Awesome Comics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's Rob Liefeld in a nutshell, and, and then, kind of that time period. And in his a second nutshell. comic company after Awesome Comics was called Arcade Comics, which to me, that just like extra seals the deal that this guy's just a child. Yeah. Like, Arcade Comics, dude. Like, we're going to go play Mortal Kombat and read some Rob Liefeld comics, bro. Yeah. It's like a time capsule, it's, a man, time capsule man. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's very strange. I loved, uh, also, everybody had swords on their back. Everybody had guns strapped to their back, but not realistic, like, shotguns or anything. Like, right. weird, like, tubular-style yeah. guns that always had two ports for the bullet. Yeah. And I don't know why they each had two ports, because... Two's bullets, better than one, baby. Bullets come out of one port, Rob. But they're not bullets most of the time. They're like, they're like laser lasers, things. I guess. Yeah, so maybe there is two. Um, what I was thinking were the, like, straps that had little, just cylinders, you oh, know? Oh, yes. Like little, yeah. cil- like, little rounded cylinders. Yeah, what are those? I don't know what are they those are. those pills? What am I, I doing? I guess, like, cyanide capsules, and uh, but you only need one, I so. think they're those, like, you remember those those little capsules you would drop into the pool and it'd turn into a creature? I think that's yeah, kind of yeah, I kind of remember that. Those were cool. Those were cool, and I'm sure Rob thought they were cool. <laughs> he too. was like, you know what, my guy needs ten of those on his arm. Yeah, he obviously loved using. Uh, and it's funny because his cable would go back and forth about what style his metal arm was. Like in this issue, it's very like solid metal, but oh, it's got like a couple of little rather than top, Colossus. But rather than Colossus, but he used the shit out of that Colossus look. Yeah, where it's like just a uh, lined, you know, like a. I guess, uh, slats of metal. I don't know how to describe it exactly. Um, But he used that a whole lot. Um, Just looking at all this stuff. Definitely tight pants. Oh, my gosh. And that was a big influence on me as well. Oh, for me. Where basically the the crotch area became like an asterisk almost. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I definitely enjoyed that. I oh, I didn't. Well, and the, the I used that a lot. I used that a lot. The quads thing a lot, where you could see everybody's quads through oh, yeah. their pants, no matter if they were just a random person walking down the street. Oh yeah, everybody was jacked. Everybody was buff. Yeah, which in Youngblood, there's like a lot of uh, policemen running around outside, like tiny. Which he would, by the way, just copy and like basically cut and paste the same <laughs> policeman over and over. Uh, but those dudes were friggin' jacked, man. Like yeah. their legs were huge. Like, beat out Arnold Schwarzenegger on his yeah. best day, man. They, they did not skip leg day. They did not skip leg day, no, indeed. But, yeah, just looking at all this, and it just takes me back to that time. And, I mean, like, a lot of this is nostalgia, for, personally, because this was such a formative time for me. Yeah. Because that was the time where I became, you know, really interested, like, legitimately interested in creating uh, where the comic books were the first big thing that me and my best friend did together. We had like made some smaller movies and stuff, but that's, this was definitely the first thing where we took it seriously. And that's yeah. pretty big when you're 12. Absolutely. Because usually the only thing you're going to take seriously is like if you're in a you know little league 
or <laughs> you know your Super Nintendo. Super Mario Brothers. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that was around a time where I like really wanted to do this. Where I went from like I want to be a pilot or a firefighter to I want to be a comic book artist. For Same a here. I I don't even remember. I'm sure it was like policeman or something, but I don't even remember having a a career or what I want to be when I grow up, except for the very first thing I wanted that I can remember is to be a comic book artist. And it was because of these guys at this time that really just, I wanted to be able to do that. And I was so blown away by their I wanted to deliver babies. You wanted to deliver babies? Yeah. I wanted to be like an OBGYN, I guess. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's really weird. Like, when I was in kindergarten, that was what was interesting to me. Slash, I also wanted to be a pilot because we had an Air Force base, um, so we always had planes flying overhead, like military planes. Not even like you wanted to be a doctor. Like, you wanted to deliver babies. I wanted to deliver babies, very specifically. That is so specific. I know. I know. Did you understand at the time, like, how it worked? I don't know. And it's not like I had... I don't think my brother was born yet because I was seven when he was born. This is around the time I was like four or five. This is like the first career Holy that I can cow. remember wanting to to be. I've never heard that from anyone. I know because I'm a weird. I was a weird kid. It's I was just so definitely a weird specific. Yeah, like, I don't know if I even knew where babies came from at four years old. Yeah, I don't know if I knew where they. I mean, I guess I did if I wanted to deliver them. I knew that maybe my mom and dad had a friend that had a baby and they explained it to me. And I was like, yeah. that's, that's cool. I want to bring life into the world. I guess I wanted to create in a way. Oh my gosh. Just from the beginning. That Man. was just it. And then at some point I also wanted to be an inventor. Oh, uh, so more I creation. Could, so I could invent Johnny five. Oh yeah. That makes I, sense. I had seen short circuit and I was like, all I got to do is invent that and then wait for him to get struck by lightning. And I am in the money. And I, I didn't even want to make my, I just wanted him to be my bud. Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted Johnny five to be my buddy. I, yeah. I would gladly give him input. The uh, the thrill of my life up to of my young life was before this is before Rob Liefeld came into my life was going to MGM uh, Disney's MGM Studios in uh, the uh, Orlando Resort. Okay, and at the end of the studio tour, they had just a big props warehouse with tons of stuff, and I'm cool. I would love to be in there now because I'm sure I'd recognize a lot more stuff because I've seen so many more movies now. Uh, but they had the gold Johnny Five from the end of Short Circuit Two, <laughs> the one that left in, when he becomes a citizen, uh, where he jumps into the air. And I actually spent the rest of that trip trying to figure out a way to sneak in and steal it. Like I was trying to plot a heist at like eight years old of how I'm going to get in, how I'm going to take him, and then I guess again leave him out in a in a thunderstorm and let him get struck by lightning so right. he will come to life. Because obviously he worked right, of course, in my mind at right. the time. Uh, but as long yeah. as you could get him out of there. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, if I could just figure that out, I was, you're golden. Yeah, if you will. I was <laughs> exactly, and then uh, yeah, I also wanted to try to invent a rocket pack like the Rocketeer. I drew up plans. I love the I, Rocketeer. Yeah, I tried to scoop up a bunch of um, materials to build a rocket pack. But uh, I thought I would last... be able. I thought I would be able to create Peter Parker's web shooters. I wow. thought there's definitely a way of doing this. I feel like I knew there was too much chemistry involved in that, and I was like, no way. I was just like, I just need to figure out a way to do this when I was, I don't know, fifth grade, fourth grade, mm-hmm. probably, probably younger, probably third grade. Yeah, yeah. And I remember just being set on, I need to figure out how, how I can make Peter these. Parker makes this yeah. prehensile, I, I think, I, incredibly strong, I think he, elastic. <laughs> I think I was, I think that's the thing that didn't prevent me from thinking it was possible is I wasn't really thinking about the web fluid so much as how the shooters work. Oh, so you just wanted to make something if you could have squirted out ketchup and it would have been the, it would have been probably a silly string. Yeah, probably silly string yeah. I would have wanted to do. But I mean, I guess you kind of just got a silly string can. Yeah. Um, they actually but make make those. They do now. Yeah, I know. They years didn't at the time. Years after we stopped buying toys. 
I, I think I mean, I never stopped buying toys. Let's be honest. <laughs> I think I thought that if I could create the web shooters, the chemistry would be easy. Yeah, I suppose so. But you're an engineer and not a chemist, man. But that's the thing. I was never an engineer, so I could never figure out how to get any of this to work. Nor was I a master thief. I was not a Danny Ocean, so I was not able to figure out how to get Johnny Five. But actually, I was thinking about it the other day, like wondering if that is still there. Because I feel like you want to go back and short, steal it. Yeah, short. <laughs> or like, can I buy that old Johnny Five? I mean, like that's actually one of those rare movies that they're not remaking. So, yeah. like, is it just yeah yet? It's like, is it just chilling somewhere? It's gonna pain me when they do remake that because they're gonna give him legs, and that's gonna be bullshit. They're going to give him legs. They're not going to give him a laser. They're not going to give him that little weird square head. They're going to make him like a transformer. They're going to be super mad. sleek. Yeah, super sleek. He's going to move fast. He's going to be all CG, and I'm going to hate it. Yeah. I'm going to still pay money to go see it, though, because it's going to have the short circuit name on it, and I'm a sucker. You're going to hate watch it? Uh, No, maybe maybe it'll, it'll be a future. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's this future on this great. podcast. Yeah. But back to Rob Liefeld. So this was a time when he and all of his image compatriots were huge at Marvel. And yes. I know that was a time where me and my friends, like, worshipped everything that man put to page. Uh, there was an issue of X-Force, uh, the one that I mentioned earlier, that was actually all horizontal. Yeah. Except for a page here, here and there, which were vertical like normal. But I just studied that book. I studied like every line of that, and I know I took a lot of com. Uh, when I was drawing my own comics, I would either trace or I would look at what he had drawn and then recreate it in my own comics to make yeah. them more exciting. Because the first thing I learned as an artist uh, com- drawing comic books is it's hard to make them not look static to make it look exciting. And I feel like when I started to draw, I was okay at drawing them standing still or just drawing like from the shoulders up, nothing moving, and. This was my attempt at, like, kicking it up a notch, basically. That's what those guys did so well, is that sort of energy and dynamism. Yeah. And, I mean, I was a huge, probably my biggest influence from those group of guys is Eric Larson. And this is an interesting thing I was thinking about, though. Like, and you might be different from me on this, because I was such a Marvel kid at that time. But I was thinking about it, I was like, man, those artists, and this is how they were able to do Image and make it successful, is that those artists over at Marvel were so popular and were so revered and were so idolized at the time. And I don't think that besides Frank Miller, I don't think that I could have named at that time an artist from DC. And that probably has a lot to do with the fact that I was such a Marvel kid and I wasn't buying a lot of DC books. But that's also why I was a Marvel kid and not buying DC books is because of those artists over at Marvel. Yeah, I think... At the time, I thought that like DC was like the old man's comic. Like these yeah. are what the the lamos read. These you know these chumps over here at DC they're boring. They, like I yeah. and I still kind of feel that way a little bit. I mean DC I feel like uh, you know they trade off now between which which ones riding high DC and Marvel in terms of the actual published work. Obviously outside of the actual comics world, Marvel is huge like the cinematic universe yeah cinematic and uh, you know ancillary like toys and stuff like marvel is killing it and dc is kind of struggling but um yeah i always just thought dc was super boring and even at the time i don't even i don't think i knew frank miller i actually didn't know frank miller at the time i actually i was thinking about that i i was now dark knight returns is such a huge thing for me but i didn't see that until years later after it came out and it was in the 90s when i first saw it. i mean yeah now it's like my top three favorite comics of all time are watchmen dc 
Dark Knight Returns, DC, and Preacher, which is Vertigo. So it's like DC actually has produced most of my favorite comics of all time. Yeah. And then you probably get to like Dark Phoenix or something after that. So it's finally some Marvel or Secret Wars or something. But yeah, I just I worshipped Marvel. I knew all these guys by name, and I couldn't have told you a single person working um, working on DC except for like J.M. Dematis, Dematis. Um, do you remember him? I think he did like mm-hmm. Justice League International or something like that. He like did silly books, and I feel like he did like uh, Booster Gold and okay. Blue Beetle, something like that. For I believe I knew you, him, but I was not familiar at the time. Yeah, but I certainly knew the name of Rob Liefeld, even though I called him Rob Leefield. <laughs> uh, and I knew Jim Lee, and I knew Todd. Mc- I mean, uh, Todd McFarlane was like a god to me, basically at that time. And even at that time, they were having, you know, Stan Lee had a show called The Comic Book Greats with right, Stan Lee. Right. He had those guys on and, you know, plastered the set, even though it wasn't all image guys. The set was nothing but image guy drawings. It was like Rob Liefeld drawings from both from both image and uh, Marvel, Marvel work. Yeah. But uh, it was like Todd McFarlane, Rob Liefeld, and Jim Lee drawings surrounding him. And that was his set for the thing, even if he was having somebody like George Perez on, which I felt like they should have switched it out. For yeah. each episode, like, had a different artist, but I guess that would have gotten cost prohibitive. But, you know, again, looking at this comic now, it's just like, man, I stole so much. And and really, the funny thing about this is, I look at this, and this comic makes me realize, and basically my love of Rob Liefeld makes me realize, that's why I have no fundamentals myself. I still <laughs> struggle with drawing hands and feet. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is due to me aping his style, because I I did the same things that he did. Uh, this sideways comic, X-Force number four, is the famous one where it's like this hill, this sort of like gray, right. nondescript hill that's covering up everybody's feet like six or seven times. Like, this is the <laughs> issue where I think people started to realize that like, hey, he doesn't like to draw feet, does he? Right. And Don't I blame him. No, They're I don't. They're tricky. They are tricky, and hands are even trickier. I know you can just turn them into peanuts or whatever, and... That's supposed <laughs> is that to help the McFarlane? You. McFarlane has a whole tutorial about fingers and how they're actually peanuts yeah. linked together. It, but then speaking, that makes a really knobby. Uh, like, that's that's really, definitely McFarlane's style. Oh, it's true. The, really, the knobby uh, fingers. Yeah, and, the knobby fingers and knobby joints. And it was stuff. it was cool to see them on that episode of was a comic book greats. Is that yeah. what it was called? It was cool to see their relationship at that time because. Todd being the big brother, for sure. Exactly. And him giving giving Liefeld such a razzing. Yeah, he definitely razzes him a lot. Um, and he kind of deserved it, but... But it's also like, but it's, it's fun because that just goes to show how young he was. Yeah. They all looked at him as the kid. And he know? was. I and mean, he looks like... And that, uh, around this time, he was also in the Levi's commercial with Spike Lee. Right. Um, where he's explaining about X-Force. He's explaining about his creation. This was in the early 90s. And uh, there's actually a quote from that commercial that really stuck out to me um, that kind of like sums up sums up Rob Liefeld in a nutshell. And that's uh, Spike Lee asked, do you have any formal art training? And Rob Liefeld says, no, just a lot of imagination. And I feel like that's him in a nutshell, 100%. Absolutely. And that's why he is great. And that's why I feel like people don't, don't give him enough credit for that. Just that unbridled, unstoppable imagination. Yeah. And that and we're I'm touching on things we've mentioned before but yeah that lack of fear yes. that can only come with inexperience and youth. Absolutely, absolutely. Like the, the the risks he would take, the chances he would take, which he was doing from Hawk and Dove that a more seasoned professional would 
then retrofit to the normal style. And obviously, and again, these these sort of risks would eventually bite them in the ass. But that's the thing with taking those risks and pushing those boundaries, though, is they're not all going to work out and they're not all going to survive the test of time. But that pushes, I feel, the art form forward. And I know that that's even a controversial statement because some people will look back at that and be like, oh, they ruined comic books for a while, these image guys. But as an artist and as somebody that was so into comic books at the time and drawing comic books, it was blowing my mind. And I it made me love comic books even more, which isn't that what it's about? Like, I, I, they're comic books. And definitely when I was 10, 12, that's what was exciting. Same thing with 80s action movies. That's what's exciting about them. They're so over the top. That's, yeah, and especially at the time, it's not exactly like it is now where this isn't like a high-minded art form. I mean, I guess we were just coming from the period of Alan Moore, of Frank Miller, like really releasing these like seminal works that are going to stand the test of time forever. So coming off of Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns, and just two, two three years later... We have Liefeld and those guys coming up and making it about style over substance. Yeah. Maybe that's what people rebelled against at the time. But one, they created, I say single-handedly, but you know, seven-handedly, <laughs> an entire generation of comics fans. Of yes. People that Absolutely. I feel like this Marvel movies today and DC movies today and stuff like that, would they necessarily be what is happening now if not for these guys making these characters so huge and so at the forefront of pop culture for at least a short time and yeah. making it and really ingraining it in our specific generation. I think we're the perfect guys to talk about this because we are that perfect age yeah. where we were the age that he was going for at the time, the like early, like preteens. Like yeah. he had the mind of a preteen himself <laughs> yep. and he just tapped directly into that. Uh, one video I saw on YouTube kind of compared him to Kurt Cobain in that way. Interesting. And uh, that might be a really, that's very high praise for Rob Liefeld. I mean, for all his accomplishments, Kurt Cobain was just like another level of sure. talent, but, but the comparison. Being... But the comparison is there because he was like kind of represented this like pent up anger, uh, like his comics just looked angry. Yeah, and just like even uh, I remarked to Sebastian today that like even just regular conversational scenes, it's like people are gritting their teeth and like narrowing their eyes, and it's just like you guys are just. You're talking about nothing at all. Yeah. But it seems like every the stakes are so high for everything and that everybody's so angry about everything and like it's intense. And it's everything's intense, everything's extreme, for <laughs> lack of a better word. And everything he drew just really uh tapped into what I guess we were all feeling at the time, which is a lot of anger, angst, a lot of it? angst, a lot of uncertainty, which I feel like if if Marvel and DC weren't under a stranglehold from their corporate overlords, we might have that again today. Yeah, uh, but everything's so corporate now, just across the board with movie making, and except for independent film, obviously. But I feel like we're not going to really have that anymore. And I, I, I feel I, like it's if you're going to get it, you're going to get it from Image probably now. I mean, Image yeah, is completely yeah, sure. different than it was at that time, but they're still doing. But there's it's similar in the way that it's breaking ground, like those guys were doing at the time. Yeah, and it's of the time. I mean, a lot of the Image books that are coming out now are the, are more feel more independent and feel like not as corporate and yeah. they are taking more chances and etc. And I think a lot of times, even those people that are doing books right now at image kind of look back at the start of image. And it, it is pretty amazing to see how it was that sort of beefcake eighties uh, over the top or nineties rather, but over the top uh, stuff. And then now it is much more highbrow or, you know, looking yeah. at different uh, points of view and etc. So I, I do, I, I'm, not blind to the to that difference but i think a lot of people now 
similar to how they talk about Liefeld, kind of just poo-poo the beginning of Image as it's like, ah, whatever, it was just a bunch of beefcake, big gun, blah, blah, blah. And it was that, but that was revolutionary at the time. Yeah. You they're know? not they're not good stories to go back and revisit. I no, not at all. They the don't first, hold up at all. Yeah, I've reread the first four issues of Youngblood, uh, which were the only ones I could buy single-issue form on Comixology that I could find anyway. And the stories are nonsense. <laughs> right. Um, but that was besides the point at the time. Yeah. I mean, we were just craving something else. Yeah. And I feel like Marvel sort of picked up on that and they tried to continue that for a while. And obviously the spectator market rose and then fell very yeah. hard. Uh, and those, that span of a couple of years, that was a crazy I, time. I mean, in terms of the spectators and all that stuff, like the spectator market and the five different covers and the, you know, there was just so much gimmicky stuff happening at the time. The, also very 90s but that is far more to blame and maybe fed the egos of these guys and you know it all it all it all is connected but to lay that at the feet of Liefeld yeah is I think unfair yeah and Jim Lee like gets none of the blame for this anymore because yeah. I think he's been so consistently good and he's now like the publisher of DC and like kind of running things over there and yet still manages half the time to have a monthly book which I have no idea how the guy does it. Plus, he does yeah. like cool drawings for Instagram like <laughs> yeah. every other day. Uh, it's just a prolific dude. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know why it gets laid at his feet. Uh, same goes for Todd McFarlane. Todd McFarlane has a lot of the same personality quirks as Rob Liefeld, just in a different way. Yeah, Todd's also insane. They're yeah. both they're both crazy dudes. Yeah, um, I think they had too much success too soon. Not in the same way, but like Michael Jackson, like he was too young to have that much success and to be. And honestly, have that much pressure to put on him to perform and to uh, exceed the last thing that you did. And I think that just really, you know, that can't help but warp a person. And I yeah. definitely think it's most, uh, you can see it best on Rob Liefeld. Uh, yes. But Tom McFarlane is also his own set of weird little eccentricities. Yeah. I, and I think you have a great point. I mean, Todd McFarlane definitely shot to the top super if not shot at the top super fast, he rose to great heights and was oh, given yeah. so much attention and praise. And, and that has to affect you. And with Liefeld, he was even younger, did it even faster, and went bananas. And I mean, I, <laughs> the stories that they tell about him back in the day, like I'm not going to make excuses for his attitude and I'm not going to make excuses for choices that he made. But if we're just looking at his artwork... That I will stand up for because it influenced me so much. And as you said, now you maybe don't have the fundamentals that you could have had or whatever. I get that. I definitely. Well, I also, much like Rob Liefeld, have no formal training. Like I've never, you know, I was a one semester art major in college. And at that time I had been drawing comic books most of my life. And they tried to make me unlearn everything I had learned. And I was like, ah, fuck that. And then I had me and my best friend, Darren, who was also an art major at the time, uh, after spring break, we quit going and flunked out and eventually went undecided for a couple of years before I decided to uh, do their my school's version of a film school. But, uh, yeah, sorry. So I know it's a lot of the, the fundamentals that I'm missing. I yeah, no, th- I mean, yeah, that was just my thing of, like, you can argue that his influence on our artwork or whatever was not completely positive, but I would argue his artwork was definitely positive in us being passionate about comics. Yeah, it got me excited. 
And that's the thing that I can't deny now, like looking at these X-Force issues and New Mutants issues and even the Youngblood stuff. It gets me kind of like, it makes me want to draw for some reason. Maybe it's just something in my lizard brain that this is like the first thing that made me want to pick up a pencil. So it just has that reaction to me. And, and, And it is a because of nostalgia. Yeah. But man, like... Something about this, something about the way he lays out a page. Yeah. Uh, definitely in the Marvel stuff. I'm going to say by the time Image rolled around, he was so under the gun and behind that I pointed out to Sebastian in issue two <laughs> or three. There are like four pages of the book that are just taking images from prior pages and then repurposing them. It's like he was short four or five pages. Right. Like there's one where it's like a weird, like horizontal thing of a uh, prophet in a container. And it's laid out in such a weird way where, like... It's the, a double page. It's a double page spread, it's, and it's horizontal. Yeah. It's very, very strange. Um, it would have been sideways if you were reading... If you flip the page over, it would have been sideways. It would not have... Like, all the dialogue would not have been straight up. It would have been yeah. uh, cockeyed. And then you flip the page again, and it's just a zoomed-in version of the art from the prior page of Prophet in his tube with no extra dialogue. <laughs> and then you flip the page, and then you get the story. It's like, they're like, Rob, you're short. Yeah, like, uh, just, just put that there. Let him have a better look at that. And then later, Prophet and uh, and some other. I think his name's Brahma. One of the one of the many strongman characters in this <laughs> yeah. book are running, and they're gonna punch each other. And I think they were short a page. So at the end of one page, it's them running towards each other. Then you have this page that's two panels from previous pages just blown up in the middle. And then you flip it again, and then it's Brahma punching Prophet, which is clearly. If you look at it, it's clearly him just continuing from the page before. Right. But they're like, ah, oh, shit, we need to we need, we another, need put another filler. page in here. Yeah. So let's just use old art and put it here. But I'm sure that's what happened. But again, I mean, like, how old was he when he was doing this? Like, 23? I think of myself at, like, 22, 23. Like, I wouldn't have been able to pull it off either. And he was And running a to... business and bringing other people in and training other artists and, 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 and buying Ferraris. And that's what I was going to say. starring in commercials and buying Arnold Schwarzenegger's sword from, <laughs> Conan, the from Conan the Barbarian. And, and while well, Tommy McFarlane was off buying baseballs of guys who were on HGH and shit or on steroids. <laughs> So good times, good times. Yeah, they made some good decisions, but and he was also at the time like they're developing a young blood cartoon and yeah. probably talking about movies. And these guys have all said numerous times, including Jim Lee, that they were not prepared as businessmen for all of this stuff. Yeah, they were just a bunch weren't. of artists that wanted to do stuff without being tied down largely through the coaxing of Todd McFarlane. Yeah. But that they were just a bunch of guys that wanted to go off and see if this would work and to not have all this oversight and had no idea how to run a business, how to juggle all of this stuff. And I remember at the time being, you know, bummed out when it would take months to get the next issue or whatever. Or a year sometimes. Or a year. But Looking back on it now as an, as adults, it, it is pretty clear that they were just way out of their depth. Oh, they were, and for sure. got a lot of money really fast. Which is also why Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee would, within like three years, jump back to Marvel for a yeah. year for Heroes Reborn. Which was a big moment for me because I was so stoked. When I heard, especially more at that time, because the luster of Rob Liefeld had definitely worn down. A little bit, but when I heard Jim Lee was going to come over and take over Fantastic Four, and he was taking over Iron Man, Rob Liefeld would take over Captain America and the Avengers, the infamous uh, Captain America. Oh my God, yeah, the the just w- the quote unquote worst comic ever. And I'm not going to argue that the story of that was good, but I'm sure. I don't know. Actually, by that point, I feel like Rob Liefeld, his style had evolved beyond that like 
perfect early 90s version of himself where it was like not fundamentally sound but it was just exciting and thrilling to he had gone too far in that style <laughs> to the grotesque yeah exactly where it was just like a uh, sickening <laughs> yeah. in a weird way everybody's eyes were just tiny and beady everybody's hair was giant and obviously everybody's pecs were huge and it was too extreme it was too extreme indeed uh but he obviously that was the beginning of his fall that's when people started to really realize this guy is not all he's cracked up to be and he got fired off of that after six months of what was supposed to be a year I think that's a a case, too, of when something is so very much of its time, as with a mullet, eventually people will go, you know what, this isn't as cool as I thought it was. Their feelings change on it. And I think for you and I, like we're we definitely have that time capsule moment of we were the right age at the right time for this stuff to happen. But give or take five years or whatever. And and even us, I mean, I I know I certainly at at a certain point was like, yeah, I'm going to focus on other artists now. Yeah, because it was so when I was a certain age in a certain decade, you know, that's when his artwork popped for me and he's still drawing and he hasn't changed with the times seeing his artwork. Now his newer stuff doesn't do the same thing for me that seeing his artwork in 1991 or two or three did for me at that time. Yeah. And I think by the time heroes were born came around, Joe Matarera was around and I just really glommed onto his style. I loved his book. So I was already, I had already kind of moved on for who my idol was at the time. So, but I was still excited. I was still yeah. super stoked about him taking over the Avengers and seeing what Rob Liefeld was going to do with all those characters. Uh, it didn't turn out so great. Yeah. Obviously. Uh, and there's for so anybody. many, there's so many, um, there's great documentaries about image and other people's other people at image, their feelings about Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld doing, going back to Marvel, which was a competitor in which they had left. Like Todd obviously has very strong feelings about all of that. Right. Um, If you get a chance, check out image revolution. There's also, there's just a bunch of stuff. Oh, There's tons of documentaries on it, but image revolution is a wonderful documentary. I think you can find it on voodoo or maybe even on YouTube, just about that whole experience and about sort of, uh, yeah, how that group got together and how it pretty quickly dissolved because by 1996 that's when trouble reared its ugly head and mark silvestri left because of business decisions rob liefeld had made yeah and ultimately right before they they lured mark silvestri and top cow back but rob liefeld quote-unquote quit but it was maybe minutes before they were going to send him a fact saying he was fired from the group yeah or he was out so he would go on to create a couple of his own comic companies, the aforementioned Awesome and Arcade Comics, where he uh, got into a big fight with uh, the creators of, um, not Captain America, what's his name? Fighting American. Fighting American, yeah. Which was another uh, character from uh, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon, I believe. Yeah, because uh, he, he got into a big thing with um, Simon's widow? Or well, S- Simon, I think, was still alive, but it was Jack Kirby's widow. Oh, Jack Kirby's widow. And, yeah, he tried to get... He tried to get the rights to the character. They wouldn't. Uh, their price was too high. I guess their price point was too high. So he created Agent America, which <laughs> I remember was just a terrible, terrible. I mean, even more blatant than Deadpool ripoff of Captain America. He even had the shield. 
He got sued, right? And he got sued by Marvel to be to, to they told him you can't have him throwing a shield around. That's just Captain America, bro. <laughs> so we had to take that aspect out and it didn't go very well. I mean, he did create the uh, I remember the character Supreme was really big. Yeah, I remember. Uh, and that was because guess what? Alan Moore wrote it. So and I don't think Rob Liefeld ever drew it. I think he maybe like created the idea of the character and Alan uh, Moore actually did something with it. Okay. And I think Mark Miller was another big uh, creator uh, eventually that he would, worked with. That he would eventually work with that kind of elevated the material. But yeah, and Mark Miller is a is a uh, supporter of Liefeld now. He is, yeah, he is. I, I found that interesting to see that there are people that are staunch supporters or defenders of Liefeld even to this day. There's weird, weirdly not a lot of middle ground. There's like no gray area, gray area for him. Yeah, it's either you fucking love him or you abhor him. I and, I will and, speak. Uh, sorry. Oh no, I was just gonna say we were sort of in the uh, the latter category. We. Like I said, when we first met, I think one of the first things we bonded over was an article of the 40 worst Liefeld drawings. Yeah. And you sent it to me and we laughed about it and we found the other 40 worst, you know, the, yeah. another 40 terrible drawings. And I mean, that's how kind of our conversation about just being comic book artists began, which ultimately led us to collaborating together. Um, so we were definitely against him, but then cut to, oh, were you going to say? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think that, look... I still, even then, knew how much Liefeld meant to me as a child. Yeah, I think that it's those 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 articles are funny, and they do point out very obvious, uh, obvious and true Short, shortcomings shortcomings of, a- of of Rob's drawings. Um, the anatomy being one, the eight thousand teeth being another, the the million lines on people's faces, the no feet, you know, all yeah, these things are the pouches, the pouches, the, the, the weird perspective. A lot of times the, the objectification of oh, women, yeah, which sure. I would also, you and I were talking about, like also every guy is muscled to the extreme and has a gigantic package. But I mean, he, the, the sort of objectification, he definitely twisted women's bodies in weird ways. And, yeah. And and again, he, he wanted it to where you could fully show the boobs and the butt simultaneously. Yeah, that was his pose. It was like the butt was completely out, and also the boob. She was almost completely turned around, like three sixty, right, one eighty. Like so her could, spine was was special. Say, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was magic. So there's look, there's a lot of stuff that are actual critiques of his artwork that they're, they're legitimate. They're legitimate. I mean, and it's not. I don't think he ever professed to be a fine artist in that sense. It was all about the energy and the yeah. I think you know, he's he's always admitted like yeah. I know I'm not the best, but it's exciting. Yeah, you, you still wanted to buy it, right? Yeah, and people <laughs> did. I yeah. mean, clearly, and it affected us clearly. Yeah. So I I think that those articles they are funny and they point out real things that are shortcomings in a humorous way. Yeah, but I don't think that. And it's again, it's kind of easy. And and knowing some of the stuff that he's done and some of the stuff that he's said and some of the ways that he's acted. I think makes that easier, honestly. Yeah, for sure. But you know, I didn't. I didn't mean to cut you off. But I. I did. I don't think that I ever hated Liefeld or hated his work. Or I mean, whatever. we hated on him. Oh like, yeah, that's I, fair. I, that's fair. I think we hated on him. We sort of hopped on that bandwagon, but then cut to a couple years ago. Uh, Sebastian and my wife and I are at a comic convention, and just by pure happenstance. Uh, we're at the Las Vegas comic convention, and by pure happenstance, Rob Liefeld is across from us. It's a pretty big aisle, but when we sat down and I was, I noticed who was across from us. I said, "Holy shit, dude! Rob Liefeld, it's right there." And that struck me at the time because I didn't realize that I cared. Yeah, like I would, if I would have asked myself five years ago or whenever we started our comic, like, 
And that that was basically the last major convention we all three did together. Yeah. That was the release of our volume two, which was the end of our series. So we sort of set out to make this something that it would be like our, our bit of our last hurrah. Yeah. And yeah, had I, had I told myself at the beginning, like your, your last big convention that you're going to do, you're going to be across from Rob Liefeld. I would have been, I would have been like, who cares, man? That right. guy sucks. Like he's terrible. But yeah, when I was actually presented with him right there, it just, all this stuff came to me of realizing what he meant to me and yeah. what that in a large part, him being who he was and being the artist he was brought me to be sitting at that table right there. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to go over and say that all to him at one point, but his line was insane. His line was crazy around the, basically around the the perimeter of the entire place at one point. Yeah. Cause he only did like three or four stints of actually signing stuff. You know, Deadpool had just come out at this point. I think that was the year Deadpool had come out. So he was riding high and, and one, I I did kind of, I loved seeing that he had, kind of come back in a way yeah because i definitely saw rob rob liefeld tables at like you know sort of the corner of artist alleys and stuff where he had a single table and it's like man and i would point him out the sab and be like man how the mighty have fallen you know and granted and we've sat right next to chris claremont before and i didn't get as excited about chris claremont as i did rob life being across the (laughs) way from rob liefeld which is insane Uh, chris claremont's he wrote the fucking dark phoenix saga and dates of future past and like and he's the one who, you know, worked with Jim Lee and made Jim Lee a household name. And it's yeah. like, ah, Chris Claremont, but Rob Liefeld, though. So seeing him across the way just really sparked all that in me. And that kind of is what ultimately began to change my opinion of him and, and make me stop shitting all over him. Because you can point out his flaws all day, but he was important. Yeah. He's an important artist. Even if, if, if just if only historically he's important. Yeah. And he's created some characters that have lasted forever. Yes. Deadpool's not going anywhere, guys. Like, Deadpool is basically, he's perfect for the modern age. He's, like, postmodern. He, you know, pokes fun at everything, pokes fun at himself. I think he's the perfect superhero for the day and age we're in now. Yeah. Because we are in a a vastly bipolar, bipolar. (laughs) (laughs) We're in a mostly uh, postmodern world. So... Deadpool's not going anywhere. Cable's another great example. Even kind of his lesser characters, like the Shatter Stars of the world, yeah, are still pretty cool, and they're still around. Like they're not, they they still appear in in the comics and stuff. And I think Shatter Star. I didn't see Deadpool two, but wasn't Shatter Star Shatter Stars in Deadpool two? Uh, include uh, and Domino. And Domino. Domino's yeah. another one that he created, and she was one of the highlights of Deadpool two. Uh, Cable obviously Cable, yeah. was obviously in Deadpool too. So it's like the guy has added so much. Like how many other people, how many current creators can you say you created a character that's going to be around 50 years from now? Yeah. Not a lot. I mean, you really can't even say that for Todd McFarlane. Like I think Todd McFarlane, the way he portrayed Spider-Man, that is what we're still in now, 30 yeah. years later. And I think that'll be around for another 50 years. But he didn't like create. Well, Spawn. I think Spawn. Oh, well, that's true. That's true. But. I feel like, if I'm being honest, I don't know how relevant Spawn is anymore. I mean, obviously, yeah. he's relevant to us because yeah. I remember those first 12 or so issues of being the most amazing thing I had ever read at the time. Yeah. And just changing, like, rocking my world. I don't think Spawn is the next Deadpool cinematically. Oh, no, not certainly. at all. And, I, yeah, I think that Spawn... Sorry, I mean, I, I hope that Spawn's around. I hope that a lot of these characters are around forever. I mean... You could argue Grifter, created by Jim Lee for the Wildcats, he might be around for another 50 years. But 
Deadpool's somebody that you cannot walk down the street anymore without seeing a Deadpool shirt on. Oh somebody. my gosh, yeah. You can't go to a... That's a good point because it's outside of conventions, but you definitely can't go to a convention and not see a hundred or two hundred yeah. Deadpools yeah. over I think, the weekend. Honestly, now thinking about it, the only other character I can think of from like the last 25 years that's had that much of cultural impact is Harley Quinn. Go to yeah. a fucking Hot Topic, half the store is Deadpool shit, half the store is Harley Quinn shit. It's yeah. insane. Like, they have a huge Deadpool section. And Rob Liefeld created the guy. And did Rob Liefeld make everything that Deadpool is in that first appearance? Hell no. No. He was he, like an assassin. Pretty, he was an assassin. straight up. But actually, I thought he was more straight up, but rereading it, he was pretty snarky. He, he had, was snarky-ish. I feel like the... Because some of the stuff that you have is the rewritten stuff, right? No, that's just Youngblood. They, oh, that was just Youngblood. For Youngblood, they actually brought in a new writer, Joe Casey, uh, who's a pretty big name in comic books to rewrite all the dialogue for young blood, which really bummed me out. Cause I wanted the really shitty right, 1991 right. dialogue for, for <laughs> young blood. Uh, so that was unfortunate, but no, for the X-Force stuff that I, I think they may have relettered it and stuff and recolored it for the, for the digital version, but I think it's all the same. Oh, okay. But yeah, no Deadpool's pretty snarky. He's not like hilarious or anything, but he's he doesn't he, he doesn't break the fourth wall yet. He doesn't no. do any of that stuff. He yet. he makes a lot of jokes though. He's very yeah, like snarky and kind of a smartass, and it, which was surprising because I was I was expecting him to be a little bit less so. But yeah, I remember him as a like a smartass, yeah, which, and a badass. And honestly, really yeah, those are the two things that he is. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Deadpool movie, that bridge fight where he's you know shooting and it's going through three dudes' heads, he's a smartass and a badass yeah. uh, simultaneously, and. And, I mean, look, and you look at that Ryan Reynolds costume, that looks exactly like Deadpool looked in that first appearance. That's the really crazy part, is, like, his appearance has not changed that much yeah. over, this, over the intervening years. And, uh, and yeah, it's really, like, the main thing I can think of is the, like, little thing in the back of his... The little, like, hood-type yeah. thing, like a little... Little nipple yeah. in the back of his... <laughs> yeah, which isn't always there. Yeah. Um, I know I draw it sometimes when I draw Deadpool, but not always. Yeah. I prefer the... The smooth Spider-Man head. Right, right. That's what I prefer. That's what I think we were first, obviously, what we were first yeah. introduced to is the, the yeah. Spider-Man look. But, yeah, I mean, you can't deny that Rob Liefeld's added a lot. And, I mean, one of the biggest thrills I've ever had in my life as a comic book creator, I mean, this is such a small thing, but when we were walking out of that convention at Las Vegas on um, the last day and we'd had a great con, the best con we'd ever had, we were riding high anyway, and we walked by Todd McFarlane and Rob Liefeld just sitting and shooting the shit. <laughs> and that was fucking amazing. Yeah. It was really like a pinch yourself. How, when I was 12 years old and I picked up a pencil for the first time and decided to create my first character, a character named Psychopath, uh, who was ex- very much a Rob Liefeld. He was extreme? He, he was extreme. He was super muscular. He was uh, His name was Kane Quinones. He was uh, a Mexican immigrant. Uh, right. He was a mutant, uh, and he had a he had a giant Shatterstar ponytail <laughs> that like pointed up at all times. And his ability, his mutant ability, he kind of had like cannonball, like he could yeah. shoot off like cannonball and fly. But his main mutant ability was to create guns out of thin air. Or sometimes he would turn his hands into guns because guess what, John, little John didn't like to draw hands, <laughs> so he would turn his hands into shotguns. Uh, but he was like such a Rob Liefeld character, and he wore like a tank top and sweatpants. <laughs> What's nice. this costume? And a Jason mask, like a solid hockey like a, mask. Kate, that's sort of Casey Jonesy. Oh yeah, yeah. It was definitely very Casey Jones because I was also obsessed with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> movie. So it was a little Casey. Yeah, actually, very close to Casey Jones. Um, but he created guns out of his hands. But so much a Rob Liefeld character. Yeah. But had I told that kid 
who's sitting with, you know, my best friend Darren on my floor of my bedroom and we're just creating characters out of thin air and told teleported to them and be like, you're going to walk next to Todd McFarlane and Rob Liefeld one day. Yeah. One, I would have been like, who's Rob Liefeld? I know Rob Liefeld. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I would have been like, fuck you. You're lying. That's, yeah. that's not real. That's not, you're, that's not going to happen. And yet you walked shoulder to shoulder with giants. I know. And yeah, just to see those guys and to be like, obviously not on their level in any <laughs> stretch of the, by any stretch of the imagination, but being like, oh, I'm a contemporary at some point, but it's like, what a perfect full circle moment for me. Yeah. And if I never create another, and I hope to create more comics in the future, and I hope to collaborate with you on more comics in the future, but if I never create another comic again, yeah. that's the perfect ending to my comic book career, I think. Hey, go out on top, buddy. I know. What, retire, is, what do I always say? Re- retire champion. Retire, retire as champion. Retire as champion, my friend, and that is definitely what I did. <laughs> Uh, but Rob Liefeld, I feel like, you know, maybe he's, he's, not, retired. he's not retired by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> Lately, his art style has kind of changed. I feel like what he's doing now is using uh, photo reference a lot. Oh, like, I, I, feel I like haven't his, seen a lot of his new stuff. Yeah, I was actually looking uh, at his website. He's got a whole portfolio, and there's some recent pictures of Deadpool versus Black Panther. And the pictures of Black Panther, you can tell, are just pictures he looked at from the movie. Uh-huh. And, like, that first picture of the um, – actually, it's from Civil War, the – the picture, the reveal of the costume, like the concept art for the costume. Yeah. You can tell he just used that as a reference for this background image of Black Panther. And it looks good. And like modern coloring techniques really kind of help obscure a lot of his deficiencies. Sure. Uh, or his lack of fundamentals, I guess. But um, I think he's trying a little bit harder to be good. And I think he's sticking to what he's good at, which is like pinups and covers. Oh, yeah. He, I think as a regular monthly interior artist... That's just not what he should be doing. Certainly not at this point where he's already had so much success. There's nothing more he can learn or nothing more I think he can add to that necessarily. But as a pinup artist, he's great. I was, it's a grind to do the yeah, interior yeah, art. I mean, and he's making a seven-figure deal apparently with Akiva oh, yeah. Goldsman to sell the Extreme Universe so they can become another cinematic universe that'll – Let's be honest, we'll probably fail, but uh, just because most of them do. Ones that set out to be a cinematic universe from the onset – tend to not do great uh like dc and the ghostbusters and all that oh, but i see yeah you gotta build it it's gotta come organically so i mean obviously rob liefeld's he's doing okay yeah he's doing all right and he's still out there and that's the thing it's like despite everything it's like going back to that kid in anaheim taking a you know getting denied but then coming back a, a few months or a year later yeah that, this guy has been shit on so consistently for his entire career for almost 30 years now and he's still out there doing it yeah there's something great about that. There's something special about that. And yeah. maybe uh, he's a little broken in the head. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> but he's doing it. But he's doing it. He's and still, he did it. He he did. I mean, it. you can't take that away. He he rose to the mountaintop. You can't. And 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 no matter what, I feel like I know that we are but two stories of probably millions of kids that picked up a pencil because of that guy. Yeah. And you know, for better or worse, because you know, obviously, <laughs> there are things that are hard for us still. But you know, he inspired a generation. Uh, like Kurt Cobain, somebody who could really give voice to the young people who needed a voice at that time, and there's something really magical about that. So, Absolutely. for that, for that, we thank you, Rob Liefeld. Thanks, Rob. And that friend is why you are great, Rob or Robert, as Sebastian would say. <laughs> Dear Robert Esquire. <laughs> so tell us, what do you think of Rob Liefeld? Do you still think he's shit, or did we did we sway you? I mean, let's be honest. He's he's pretty great, right? Right? You guys think he's great, right? Yeah, you're going to go pick up all the stuff on Comixology now, aren't you? But please do tell us. 
How could you tell us? You can let us know on our email address, which is hwigpodcast at gmail.com. Yep. Or you can go to Instagram, where it's hwigpodcast, uh, where you'll see pictures of Rob Liefeld art that we're going to steal and put up, and hopefully he won't send us a cease and desist. Uh, you can also go to Twitter with our great witticisms about him at at HWIG podcast. And while you're at it, tweet us. Let us know what you hate, something you want us to cover. Uh, tweet us, email us, Instagram us, whatever the case. Slide into our DMs. Yeah, slide into our DMs, baby. Let us know what you hate so we can tell you why it's great. But until next time, I am John Bring. I'm Sebastian Kavlicek. And here's why it's great. Rob, have you had any formal art training? No, just a lot of imagination, I think.